Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, Craig, it is Mother's Day. Yeah. Big shout out to all the moms out there, our moms. We love all you guys. And of course, it being a holiday is just another excuse for us to pick a movie that we might not normally pick. This week's movie uh, is a very famous film. Normally, we don't pick very famous films, Mm -mm. but uh, just because uh, what are we going to say about it that hasn't been said a hundred times before. However, in the same vein, it's so much fun to talk about some of these, right? Because there's so much to say. This week, in honor of Mother's Day, we chose 1968's Rosemary's Baby, an icon Mm -hmm. of film in general, not just horror film. Okay, so... God, I hadn't. Pro- I've, I've I've seen Rosemary's Baby. I don't know two, maybe three times. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd seen it in at least the last fifteen, maybe twenty years. Oh, it it it's great. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, oh, what a great movie! It holds up so well, and uh, was just a joy to watch. And I was actually shocked when I saw as soon as I pulled it up, there was over two hours long uh-huh apparently the original cut was over four hours long and roman polanski the director oh roman polanski oh yeah yeah roman polanski the director like didn't know what to cut so he just gave it all to his editor and said you make those decisions and what we ended up with as far as i'm concerned is a downright masterpiece uh, i don't know man uh, it's gonna be hard to find flaws in this film it's just uh it's just great so I remembered loving it when I first saw it. I read the book. Me too. I was surprised when I... I mean, I read the book after I read the movie. Same. I don't know about you, but I was just surprised, like, coming off of Stephen King, Ray Bradbury, these very literary-type authors, I found the book to be very straightforward and simple. Simple in its language. The book read almost like a screenplay. It wasn't full of flowery language and highly descriptive things. It was just like dialogue and the bare bones of what you need to know, yet so densely plotted and so intense, (laughs) just like the movie. Ira Levin is the author, and uh, he wrote several iconic novels that were also made into movies. But he said when this film came out, this has to be the most faithful adaptation of a book ever for a movie because it's it's ex- exactly the same like there's very little difference between the two and i guess the producer william castle said well that might just be because this was roman polanski's first crack at adapted material mm-hmm. and so he didn't know that he could take some liberties with it and he decided not to uh, but why why would you the, the source material was solid and great it read like a movie as far as i was concerned the movie is great and so fun anyway i'm going to stop talking you say something about it <laughs> <laughs> no the the faithfulness to the novel is uh impressive i mean even down to minor details that you wouldn't even notice watching the film that he pulled from the book it, it really is very impressive like you i read the book after I had seen the movie and it didn't feel like a waste of time it was still a very enjoyable read I enjoyed it sure. very much but it, it I mean the movie is so faithful that uh, you know there weren't any surprises but that was fine and it again like I almost feel like we're gonna struggle with what to say because the movie just really is that good and and it's <laughs> it's different from what we typically cover i mean it, it's certainly horror yeah but there is next to no violence now there is implied sexual violence but it's done in a very dreamlike heady way it's not graphic at all and beyond that there's really no other violence there's no blood there's no gore that i want to call it more of a psychological thriller but that's that's selling it kind of short because there certainly are horror elements there's witchcraft and covens and the devil and uh, satanism and yeah certainly all of these things that fall right into the realm of horror but it also feels like a human drama yeah centered around this woman rosemary played by mia farrow now mia farrow at the time was married to frank sinatra she was 
a burgeoning actress. She had done stuff on stage, and she had done stuff on television, like Peyton Place and and a few other things. So she was known, but she was kind of more known for being Mrs. Frank Sinatra than for her own thing. And when this movie, when they started making this movie, she was not the first choice for the role. Um, Several people had been considered uh, ahead of her, one of them being Sharon Tate, Roman Plansky's then-wife. She was finally selected, but she was going through marital problems with her husband. Frank Sinatra told her that in order to work on their marriage, she needed to quit this movie. And she was ready to. She was prepared to. But then, I I think it was the director, somebody showed her the dailies and said, Mia you will win an Oscar if you do this. And she decided, you know what? This is my shot. I'm going to do it. And she did. She stuck with it. And days later, Sinatra served her with divorce papers on the set, and they were divorced. While uh, the movie certainly, I mean, it skyrocketed her uh, to fame. But she didn't get the kind of critical... Well, I don't even know if that's true. She didn't get the uh, she didn't get an Oscar nomination. Yeah. She was nominated for several other awards, but she didn't get an Oscar nomination, and it's it's kind of gone down as one of the biggest Oscar snubs. <sighs> Frankly, I'm not really sure how to feel about that because her performance is really interesting. Yeah. Like, I don't know that I would watch this movie and think, "Wow, this woman is an amazing actress." Yeah. But she does play the vulnerability of it very, very well. And I was very much on her side and rooting for her, scared for her. Yeah. yeah. She just she just did a really good job of really making me feel for the character. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I I wanted to be there and I wanted to be her friend and I, I wanted to tell her to get out! <laughs> <laughs> get out of this. Run away! <laughs> Nothing good will come of this. <laughs> well, I feel the same way, you know, like, I don't know if it's just because they're both redheads or something, but like Carrie, she, I just feel like I felt similarly about Sissy Spacek, you know, also at the at the time, very lesser known actress but just had a vulnerability about her that just brought me to her almost immediately i don't know they kind of have a similar look don't they as well maybe that's why i but she is much more than carrie she's more in control she could she can take control let me put it that way she can well i mean carrie could too she did she killed all those people (laughs) Well, when she was finally driven to it you know like uh, yeah you're right you're right um but yeah i i and the other thing i think that the reason that we feel for her so much is that we come to realize very soon that everything is working against this poor vulnerable woman who just has Mm. no idea what she's getting into and for no good reason like you know like she had nothing to do she didn't bring this on herself (laughs) no no and 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 the thing that troubles me and i'm sorry like i i can't help but frankly First of all, if you're listening to this, if you're into horror, you've probably seen this movie. If you haven't, turn this off. Go watch it first. Don't listen to us talk about it first. Go watch it. It's worth it. And then come back. The thing that troubled me the most is that she's this young woman in a marriage, you know, and they are kind of starting their lives. It appears that they've kind of waited for her husband to establish himself in his career. He's an actor. He's a working actor. They established that early on, but he hasn't met the kind of success that he has hoped for. He's not a star. I I can't tell you how many times in the beginning of the movie when Rosemary and she's introducing herself and her husband to their neighbors, they move into this new building, Mm. she's, she's constantly talking about you know, she has to explain who they are. What does your husband do? He's an actor. No kidding, what's his name? Guy Woodhouse. He was in Luther and Nobody Loves an Albatross and he does a lot of television and radio. Gee, I watch TV all day long. I'll bet I've seen him. He aspires to more. And the thing that really gets under my skin about this movie is that your partner, 
your husband, your wife, your the person that you choose to devote your life to, that should be the person, ideally, I know that it's not always the case, but ideally that should be the person that you can rely on mm. in any circumstance that you can trust. And her husband betrays her and puts her through hell for his own ambition and yeah. it's it's disgusting and it's so you know obviously i had seen the movie before and i had read the book so watching it again this time and knowing what was going on i was just sickened yeah. by the manipulation that was going on there because like you said she doesn't she doesn't deserve it you know right. she's she's a wonderful supportive loving wife and and he just completely beyond anything that i can imagine in real life <laughs> betrays her it's disgusting <laughs> and you know i feel like this is a movie that's even more rewarding upon repeat viewings yeah. because once you know what's going on you can really appreciate the tells and the things early on in the film. I don't know if it was my age, because I know I first watched this probably when I was a teenager, but I remember when I first watched this wondering if the husband was in on it. Uh-huh. Like thinking, oh, this is an intriguing thing. Like maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But like this time watching it around, again, maybe it's my knowledge, but it's so obvious. Uh-huh. It's so obvious that he is basically the instigator more or less, of all of this, that like you said, it pissed me off even more. Yeah. He's such a slime ball because he is really good at just... Gaslighting her. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is, right? Gaslighting her. He's so good at gaslighting her, which I was just thinking about that too. I'm like, this movie is like just the kinds of conversations and the social place we are now where we're confronting these sort of issues and and we're talking about it. It's a movie for our time. It is a movie that has aged great, (laughs) you know, because I I don't want to say it's ahead of its time, but I mean, I just feel like you can watch it today and feel like it was made today because it's kind of treading on that same stuff. It's very much a sort of a feminist, I guess you could say, movie. We're, We're very much brought onto Rosemary's side in the beginning we can see very clearly that she's being manipulated and worked against and gaslighted. And then it is even as the film goes on, and this is a part that I had forgotten about, I forgot just how much she ends up and how early on she ends up realizing that something's not right mm-hmm. and taking some action. She takes initial steps, but like almost like starting from halfway through the movie to the end, she gets more and more agency and more and more determined to fix this, to extricate herself from the situation. Her problem is she doesn't understand 100% the situation she's in. Mm -hmm. That's the only problem. And as that gets more and more revealed, she gets more and more desperate and actually takes action. She's not, I mean, she is a victim, but like she's not very much not like a helpless victim in this movie she's simply helpless because there's no way anybody can, is going to be able to overcome what she's dealing with but she certainly tries very hard <laughs> she is a victim um and mia farrow in subsequent years like i think in the 90s and in, in interviews and talking about this was kind of critical of the character and calling her a victim i don't think that that's fair because no. you know she is <sighs> First of all, <laughs> victims should not carry a stigma. You know, that's yeah, you're it's a not victim. Your fault. It's not your fault. You know, something happens to you. Something somebody does something to you. That's not your fault. But what I like about Rosemary is that when she does come to feel and believe that there is something going wrong, she stands up for herself yes. forcefully. Yes. Eventually, she seeks help. And I know that we're going totally out of sequence. We can come back and kind of wrap up the story or whatever. But she seeks help. And she goes about it all the right ways. Mm. But It's bigger than her. <laughs> it's bigger than her. And in those, because of the situation that she's in, when she seeks help, she seems 
crazy. She's not. <laughs> she, <laughs> she is spot on. She knows what's going on. She knows what's happening to her. But when she tries to explain it to other people, and, I, you know, I have to put myself in their shoes. If this woman was saying these things to me, I would think this woman is crazy and she needs help. Yeah. Not from the things that she thinks she needs help from, but because... She's crazy. I would think that too, but she's not. That happens, you know? <laughs> it does. It's so frustrating w- to watch it because you want people to help her. She reaches out to the people who should help her, but they just think she's crazy, and it's so frustrating. Well, and, and this being our Mother's Day episode, I mean, this bears discussing, and it's part of the reason why we chose this movie anyway, but like, Pregnant woman, women in particular, right? We all, there's almost a stereotype. And, you know, it comes from a yeah. truth that this is a very hormonal time. Right. Like, it is a, a time of great change, psych, physiological, psychological change. All, very much of it is just biologically uh, motivated. And so, having, you know, gone through this with my own wife and our son, and, you know, through a pregnancy and all that, like, you're always constantly aware that, like, look, am I in a bad mood today, or am I saying crazy things? or am I doing weird things just because like this is what I would expect this is uh, is hormonal this is biological it's going right. to mess with your brain it's going to mess with your mind and so nobody is really wrong in questioning when she you know comes with these re- outlandish kinds of things to them mm-hmm. uh, that's what like you said makes the situation so tragic like how can you get help when you know at the end of the day, pregnant women are going to be susceptible to hormonal imbalance and meta- physiological and therefore psychological kind of changes and mood swings and all this stuff is just real. It's real. Mm-hmm. It's not about being a woman. It's about carrying a baby mm-hmm. and all that that carries. And so it's the perfect stew <laughs> for mm-hmm. for this kind of um, plot to, to work out. And uh, it's, it, it's, it's very much behind the manipulation that she experiences with these people. It's why it's so successful. And it's why she's almost doomed from the start of being able to get anybody else on her side. It's tragic, right? It really is. And we know it's tragic. We're watching it. And so that's part of the frustration, right? And that's what makes us horror. Like she's in this thing that she just cannot get out of and we can all see it and she can even see it but where's the way out there's no way out and even she doesn't know where it's going and we don't know where it's going you know there's still kind of more or less a i don't know i i wouldn't say it's a shock ending but it's definitely especially for the time i didn't realize this until i did research for this film 1968 this was the first of the sort of like string of these satanic cult mm-hmm. type movies that were so popular at this time to the point where ira levin himself said in 2002 and i'm quoting him here he says i feel guilty that rosemary's baby led to the exorcist the omen, a whole generation has been exposed, has more belief in Satan. I don't believe in Satan, and I feel that the strong fundamentalism we have would not have been as strong if there hadn't been so many of these books. Hmm. Of course, I didn't send back any royalty checks. (laughs) 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 But this is the genesis of this whole thing, and so... You know, maybe us, in retrospect, looking back on this, kind of like saw where it was coming from a mile away, or at least kind of got on board with the, we knew who the enemy was and where this was going. But maybe at the time in 1968, uh, this was a bit of a, whoa, wow, that's crazy. Oh, oh gosh, I think that's totally true. I think that it, obviously it's been a very long time since I had seen this movie for the first time time and even when i had seen it for the first time i kind of knew going in generally what it was about but i think that if you took somebody who had lived in a bubble their whole life and had no idea what this movie was about it's shocking it's surprising i don't think that you would necessarily guess what was going on yeah you would feel that there was something weird going on but I don't think that you would ultimately come to the actual conclusion on your own. And I think that the ending would be surprising and that you would also question Rosemary's sanity more. Yeah. Now, watching it 
now I know that she's right. I know that what she suspects is going on is going on. Yeah. But if I didn't already know that, I would wonder, is she just paranoid? Is it just hormones? Is she losing it? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yo, Craig, I'm so comfortable talking about this movie as though people have seen it. I still want to go on. <laughs> I don't want to jump in and talk about the plot just yet because what you just yeah. said is so real, especially the end of this film. So, okay, everybody, let me catch up on the plot. Uh, Rosemary and her husband move into an apartment. Her husband betrays her, gets her impregnated by Satan. The neighbors are part of this big satanic coven, and they are bringing the Antichrist into the world, and this ends up being the baby Antichrist, and they hold it from back from her as much as possible until the end when she has this great moment, which we'll probably talk about, and she figures, you know, she obviously she's kind of figured out something's not right, but she's not sure what it is. She thinks that because the apartment complex that they've lived in and the what their previous landlord who knows so much about this apartment complex literally tells them in the beginning this place is kind of known for weird shady shit yeah the Trent sisters were two proper victorian ladies they cooked and ate several young children including a niece oh lovely adrian mccarto practiced witchcraft he made quite a splash in the 90s by announcing that he'd conjured up the living devil. Apparently people believed him, so they attacked and nearly killed him in the lobby of the Brantford. Devil worship. Cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Babies found dead in the basement. So at worst, she's kind of thinking like, they want my baby so they can do weird shit to it. Yeah. She's not thinking, oh, they're trying to birth the Antichrist, right? Right. So that would be the twist that we get at the end. Right. That in retrospect, we probably from looking back on it now and mod- through modern eyes, we're probably figuring that out from the beginning. So anyway, at the end, when she kind of discovers all this and she breaks into the apartment next door, then they're all standing around, milling around very naturally, and there's the baby. And so she's actually sees the baby that they told her was dead. Mm-hmm. There is still like 10 more minutes of film. Uh-huh. There is still... I was thinking the same thing. 10 or 15. Yeah. yeah, there is. When you think the movie should be over, like in a Twilight Zone episode, this would have been over. Like, oh my God, the baby was the Antichrist. Ah ha 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 ha. All hail Satan. We're done. No, there's her coming to terms with it. There's them talking with her about it. And then, sort of, the twist ending is they kind of convince her look, I mean, this shit's already happened. <laughs> mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you're still the baby's mother. So would you consider at least continuing to be his mother and take right. care of it? And you don't have to join us if you don't want to. Yeah, Just you know. be its mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then she's kind of like, uh, by the end of the movie, of course, in the book, it's crystal clear because there's more. But like in the movie, that's the edge it ends on, pan out from her rocking the baby in the cradle. And you realize she's going to more or less succumb to this fate of hers after fighting it and all that. Now, now like the ultimate tragedy is that she's going to willingly, more or less, be the mother to this child that right. uh, is the is devil's the devil. spawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. And that's the only thing. Like, seriously, the the movie is so faithful, but there are just some things that you can't do on film that you can do in a movie, or in a book, excuse me. Like, in these moments in the very end when she realizes, first of all, God, the husband is such a dick like yeah from the beginning really she she has the the baby and under duress because she knows what's going on and they're like sedating her and holding her down on the bed and she has the baby when she wakes up the husband's like oh it's fine and then she goes back to sleep and she wakes up again and the doctor and the husband come in and they're like oh there were complications the baby died well then she starts hearing crying from the neighboring apartment and it's already been established that there's like a a secret entryway through a closet and so like you said she gets in there she sees the baby in the movie when she sees it at first she's horrified the producer of the movie wanted us to see this demon baby the director said no it's better left to the imagination which i think was totally the right decision but you see the look of horror on her face when she first sees it but then like you said the leader of the coven has that whole conversation with her you can still be the baby's mother you are its mother so just be its mother and the very last scene aside from a pan out from the building is her standing looking at the baby seemingly lovingly like 
she realizes that it is her baby and she loves it. Now, in the book, I'm not criticizing the movie because I don't know how they could have done this, but we're privy to Rosemary's thoughts. And she thinks about taking the baby and committing suicide and, and killing the baby, like by jumping out of the window, like this other girl who they had tried to, the coven had apparently tried to groom earlier had seemingly done maybe she thinks about it but ultimately she decides yes the baby is half the devil but it's also half me and maybe if i can nurture the baby i can fix it or 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 whatever and that's ultimately what she decides to do she does ultimately however decide to alert the pope because <laughs> she she was brought up catholic she's not a practicing catholic in her adulthood but she was brought up catholic and she decides that she is going to inform the church of what has happened and that she is going to accept whatever decision they make about what should be done and that's where the book ends do you remember that um anthology that we watched where one of the segments was clearly a follow-up to this movie even though they didn't say it do you remember that uh was that xx i don't remember which one it was but the woman uh you know it was a a single mother and her teenage son yes and he was like going through weird changes and it was it was clearly a follow-up yes, to this. I remember that. I really enjoyed that segment. I don't remember the movie, but I really enjoyed that segment. Yeah, anyway, I, I just thought of that as I was watching this. Apparently, and I didn't know this either until now, this movie had a follow-up. Yeah, it did. It was a TV movie called, I shit you not, Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, and it starred Patty Duke. That Patty Duke as the as rosemary i don't know anything i've never seen it i don't even know what happens in it do you uh no i mean i i I went to wikipedia and you can read a synopsis there are like three parts to it it did not get glowing reviews right sort of lackluster i mean it's supposedly according to daniel goodwin in scream magazine it catches up with the characters from polanski's classic in a gosh and bumbling chase movie slash disco horror hybrid a hodgepodge of awkwardly lumped together chase and dance sequences festooned with ham acting, garish fashion, glitter balls, and satanic rituals, which actually doesn't sound too bad to me. I'd be uh. curious to see. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, as a curiosity, it'd be interesting. But, like, I also read that those, you know, The Exorcist and The Omen, which followed this both of those went on to be franchises with multiple sequels and prequels and remakes and reboots and tv series and blah blah blah. and this one doesn't have that like it does have the lame made for tv sequel that wasn't received well and there was also a remake oh i can't remember the actress um it was a black actress who played rosemary in the remake and alan tells me i made him watch it though i don't remember it at all (laughs) (laughs) Um, but this doesn't have it and i think that that's because it works so well as a standalone film yeah i almost kind of don't want to know what happens next you know like i i just like the ambiguity of the ending and yeah uh, gosh just thinking about this character and again mia farrow's portrayal of her she's she's very feminine she's kind of wafy she has a very high-pitched voice She's almost childlike in some ways, and it's just something about her as a person and her performance that just makes her so vulnerable. Yeah. She's like a little bird. (laughs) (laughs) And you just want to protect her. Ironically, this is a movie... uh, You said feminist. I can see that. I, I think that that's you know accurate but it's also a movie about abuse and manipulation and Mm. rape and Mm. and sexual assault and ironically mia farrow's son ronan would go on in you know just what not even five years ago to kind of blow the lid off of this toxic masculinity 
in Hollywood and really initiate the Me Too movement um, and the Time's Up movement. It's a very interesting kind of circle. (laughs) Yeah. And speaking of abuse, I'm curious because something that I also completely forgot about from the first couple times I watched this movie were these flashback sequences to her days as like a Catholic school student. Yeah, I had completely forgotten about these flashback sequences, too. And frankly, even watching it this time, I wasn't entirely sure what to make of them. Right. Because there there were those Catholic schoolgirl moments, but then there was also a bunch of water imagery and, like, her on a boat. Like. Something that, yeah, some, some incident that happened with the windows that I guess she was getting blamed for or something. Like, I, I didn't quite get that, and I wasn't quite sure where all... I mean... I almost felt like I was watching the director's cut of the movie and that those were originally cut out. I mean, I know we didn't, but they were so out of my memory and to me, almost unnecessary. Maybe they're more necessary than I realize, but were they too established that she herself is a religious person yet has had bad experiences or a guilt or something associated with that which therefore made her a good candidate for this or at least provided some character conflict with what was going on or was just sort of foreshadowing the religiosity of what was happening to her i just i didn't get that at all. although they were really well filmed i don't know it was maybe it was a little artsy i mean the movie yeah. is kind of art maybe it just kind of treaded more into those artsy waters at those moments where I was a little unsure as to what the point of those scenes were. Well, I still am too, but it, it was disorienting. And, and some of it happened during the scene. Oh, so so, the, so they move into this building with a sordid past, and they immediately meet their neighbors, the Castavets. Yep, Minnie and Roman. Minnie and Roman. There's lots of really good actors in this movie, um, but I really like Minnie and Roman. They're this eccentric, mm. old <laughs> couple. But they could be anybody's neighbor. I mean, oh, they're they could. typical, they're t- oh, right? And, and they're very New York. They're very, like I know, like I've, I've never even been to New York, but stereotypically <laughs> New York. Like she's kind of brassy and nosy and he is f- very friendly they're they're both high very society friendly. Lo- yeah old you know old money kind of clearly like uh, has got a long past he talks about his travels and all that stuff you know just like kind of classic name any place in the world and i've been there um mm-hmm. okay and as it turns out he is the son of this notorious witch or warlock i guess though they never use that word they just say witches but his father had been this you know notorious witch or whatever who had been killed he he had lived in that building and had been killed at that building in the book uh rosemary figures it out she figures it out in the movie too but in the book um the wife Minnie, figures out that uh rosemary has figured out her husband's parentage and she says that's why we have to move around and travel so much because Mm. people always eventually figure it out and it's been you know the bane of his life being connected to his father well Mm. really not he's continuing his father's legacy but I like them both, but I especially liked Ruth Gordon. I just love her in this movie. Oh. Where's your hubby, do? He's an actor. I knew it. I said it to Roman yesterday. He's so good looking. What movies was he in? No movies. He was in two plays called Luther and Nobody Loves an Albatross and a lot of television and radio. Listen, Rosemary. I got a two-inch thick sirloin steak sitting defrosting right this minute. When you and Guy come over and have supper with us tonight, what do you say? Oh, no, we couldn't. Why not? No, really, that's very kind of you. Listen, it'll be a real help to us. (laughs) First night we'll be alone since. She's nosy, and, like, that's mildly irritating to Rosemary, but at the same time, she's also very supportive and helpful and... Yeah, she's good at her manipulation. 
Yeah, like she, yeah. She's so offhanded about it. And that's why this movie works really well when you watch it a second time, because so much of this blows right by you. Right, and because they don't seem sinister. I mean, there are little clues, like, yeah, they're very nosy, and they're very much in their business, and as soon as they find out she's pregnant, they immediately say, oh my gosh, you don't want to keep going to your doctor. We know the best doctor in the city. I'm going to set it up for you right now. Like... In hindsight, super shady, and it does turn out that the doctor is part of their coven, and so it all works out. I also really like that initially, like when Rosemary tells the husband, these these neighbors want us to come over to dinner, and he's like, oh my god, if we go over there, we're going to be connected to them, and they're mm. going to be coming over all the time, and mm-hmm. And she's like, well, we don't have to if you don't want to. And he's like, no, we can be neighborly. But he is immediately enamored with them. Like, they have dinner. The dinner is not even good. It's, like, not well prepared or whatever. But while... And these are just little things that you would only notice on a second viewing, I think. While Mm -hmm. Rosemary is helping Minnie with the dishes, Roman, the old guy, and Guy, the husband, are sitting having cigars in the living room and you can't see them you can't hear what they're talking about but all of a sudden guy is very interested in maintaining that relationship well the stories are pretty damned interesting though mm-hmm. never even heard of forbes robertson before i'm gonna go over there again tomorrow night and hear some more you are yeah he asked me here do this damn thing for me will you? I thought we were going to do something with Jen and Dick Jellicoe. Is that definite? It wasn't definite. We'll see them next week. You don't have to come along if you don't want to. You, know? you can stay here. Yeah, I think I will stay here. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, he's spending all this time with them. And when you watch the movie, having seen it before and having known what's going on, he is constantly leaving to go plot with them yes like he'll claim he's going out for ice cream or he's going for a walk or he's going to get a newspaper no he's not he is constantly going over there to plot and to let them know what's going on like if rosemary's friends are getting too snoopy or if rosemary's thinking about switching doctors or whatever it is anytime she brings up something like that or something like that happens or she's visited by a friend who expresses concern he's constantly leaving to go over there and he's in on it with them the whole time yeah oh he's such a dick and he's played by john cassavetes who i don't know from anything else jack nicholson had been recommended for the role but the director roman plansky said he's too sinister looking it's it's too obvious john cassavetes i don't think that he's particularly sinister looking but watching the movie now like yeah. I just look at him and I just want to punch him in the face like you are <laughs> such an asshole it's uh, so true God. I know I know and so the the neighbors they're great I think they're cool one of the other things that I wanted to talk about it was the stylized scene Rosemary and Guy want to ha- start a family they want to not just have a baby, but they plan to have several babies <laughs> in succession. But they want to have a baby, and they're planning for it. And Guy is like, I have, you know, I have did the math, and I know exactly when you conceive. And, like, he's circled something on the uh, a date on the calendar. So they have a special romantic dinner that night. During dinner, they're interrupted by a knock at the door, and it's Minnie who brings them dessert. I wouldn't have noticed this watching the movie, but it's it's two goblets of chocolate mousse, and it's very clear in the novel, and they do it in the movie, but I never would have noticed that the two desserts have different toppings. Well, that's because one of them is drugged, and Guy needs to know which one, and he gives Rosemary the one that's drugged. She can taste that there's something off about it. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, watching the movie, knowing what's going on, he's so insistent that she eats it. Has an undertaste. A chalky undertaste. I don't get it. That's silly, honey. There is no undertaste. There is. Come on, the old bat slaved all day, now eat it. I don't like it. It's delicious. Here, you can have mine. <laughs> All right, don't eat it. There's always something wrong. 
Oh, if it's gonna turn into a big thing. Look, if you really can't stand it, just don't eat it. Mm, it's delicious. No undertaste at all. But then he goes to get a drink or something, and she dumps most of it into her napkin, so she doesn't actually consume most of it. So the next part of the plan is when she is supposed to pass out. She does get very dizzy and disoriented, and and that's when we start kind of seeing these flashback scenes and stuff. But he puts her in bed, and he undresses her, and then, like... She's going between dream and reality, and obviously she doesn't know the difference. It's all just very dreamlike to her. But we see her surrounded by all these old, naked people and her naked husband. And at one point, her husband says, she's her eyes are open, she's awake, she can see. And Minnie says, no, 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 they just do that sometimes. She won't see anything, she won't remember anything. This part actually confused me a little bit because it's all so surreal. Mm. It looks for a moment, they tie her to the bed, she's naked, and they paint on her in blood, but it looks for a moment like her husband crawls on top of her, Mm -hmm. but then it's not her husband anymore. It's the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Like hairy hands and fingernails and stuff Uh like that. Uh, Like goat eyes with the weird pupils and stuff I mean, to be honest it's it's almost hokey really but i actually don't think so because you see so little it's just suggestions it's just like the the eyes hovering above her the cloven hands stroking her body and you only see it in glimpses now yeah you could argue that like the hands clearly look like they're costumed that's fair but it was really unsettling i mean rape scenes very much bother me period i i I cut somebody's head off disembowel somebody i'm down sexual violence makes me very 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 uncomfortable but here it was subtle enough that I knew what was going on but it was like she didn't know what was going on like she had her head turned and was talking while this thing was thrusting into her like and then she basically yells out it's almost like she gets a sudden realization she yells out point blank this is not a dream this is really happening. Uh-huh. To me, the most disturbing part of all this was the next morning. Yeah. When she wakes up and she's kind of disoriented and she sits up and she looks at her shoulders and her sides and she sees scratch marks down there. And she's uh-huh. like, what is this? And he, again, playing it off as like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you were out of it, but I was so anxious to have a baby with you that I went ahead and did it. <laughs> And it was kind of fun in a necrophile sort of way. That is so gross. Like, oh my God. Like, I can kind of... And and she even says something like, you could have waited till this morning. It's not like it had to happen in that instant. Yeah. I can, I can almost understand from her point of view. Like, when you're that intimate with somebody and you give yourself over to somebody in that way, it's almost as though, you know, like, you have a right to my body because I've given you that right. But... Don't take advantage of it in such a disgusting way. Like, he blows it off like it's no big deal. Like, oh, yeah, I f***ed you while you were unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, like, yeah. like, no, and it was like, fun. oh, I just did. It was fun. Necrophile sort of way. You know, just as well as banging a dead body. Yeah, that's how fun it was. So, yeah, I mean, it's gross and it's weird. And she, you know, you talk about her acting. She's clearly unnerved by this. You know, yeah. she's not a flat out screaming at him. What, you raped me while I was asleep. But she's still like, uh, well, I mean, yeah, but really? Right. You could have waited till the morning. Like, could I be a part of this too? Uh, you really feel for her in this moment. And he's such a douchebag. But again, when you're watching it, maybe you catch this the first time around. But especially when you're watching it the second time, the way he continually blows her off is just the way he's gaslighting her is yes that's it both expert and really upsetting yeah. that's it exactly and like p- 
putting myself in her shoes, I can imagine the conflicting feelings. Like, you shouldn't have done that. That was bad. And at the same time, but you're my husband, so, like, I guess right. it's okay. Like, ugh. Like, it's yeah. just so gross. And he's so blasé about it. Like, that's what's so disgusting. Uh, God. It, I mean, it's it's nuanced. That's what I like about it. It's new. Yeah. You know, they're in a relationship, and she trusts him. She trusts him up until the end when she comes to understand and realize that he is part of it. And she's not stupid. She's yeah. manipulated for a very long time. But when one of her friends, who the witches have incapacitated and ultimately killed but he's able to get a message to her not from <laughs> beyond the grave <laughs> but before he dies he sends her a book about witchcraft and about specifically that her building and the people who lived there and that's how she figures out who the neighbors are and whatnot so she's not dumb she figures it out and when she figures it out she figures out that her husband is in on it and she knows why it's because because of his ambition they can make him famous they've done it before yeah and everything that they've done throughout the movie blinding uh, another actor who won a part over her husband and then her husband ends up getting the part putting her friend who was on to them in a coma and then he ultimately dies these are all things that she can read about in this book and she realizes that her husband is in on it and at that point what do you do do who do you turn mm. to she says that she has family she ha says that she has sisters um and i think she maybe mentions a brother but that they're not close and it and, and she has friends at one point she gets so tired of minnie and roman being so in their business that she just decides to throw a party and she says it's just our young friends nobody under 60 is invited <laughs> and and minnie tries very hard to get herself invited or, or to be some part of it and rosemary is very firm no it's fine thank you i can do this all on my own and when she does have that party her friends are supportive of her and tell her to seek help because she looks terrible and she feels terrible and her witch doctor has told her don't read any books on pregnancy don't talk to your friends every pregnancy is different well he's done that because she is going through hell and mm -hmm. that was one of the only other things that i really wanted to spotlight was i thought that they did such a good job of showing her transformation early in her pregnancy she looks like death incarnate skeletal like, yeah skeletal and <laughs> like pale to the point that in some parts of the movie I i'm sure it was the makeup she looked blue <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So, like just ghosts and she looked so sick and she was sick and in pain and that was the other thing that made me so mad. Her husband is watching her go through all of this. And at the end, when she figures everything out, when everything is blown wide open, and she goes into that room where everybody is standing around. It's like a bris or like a baptism or something. Yeah. Like everybody's standing around celebrating. She sees her husband, and at first he like hangs his head like, oh no, she's figured it out. But then he comes around, and he tries to justify it and and he says they promised me that you wouldn't be hurt and you haven't really been fuck you like what <laughs> like she went through hell yep. through that pregnancy and then and then he's like what if it had just been a normal pregnancy and you had just lost the baby like you would get over it like that this is just like that right like are you kidding me <laughs> what is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, I just, it's I nuts. wished that he would die. <laughs> <laughs> I hated him so much. Well, like I said, I was a teenager when I watched this movie. So sometimes things went over my head when they really shouldn't have. But I really felt like the first time around, I didn't hate him as much. Obviously till the end. But, you know... Not not all of this stuff. There, there. It felt like at the time there was enough ambiguity that I wasn't quite sure 
how much of it he was in on or how much of it he understood. And even at the end of the movie, you realize maybe he didn't quite get everything. But you're right. The evidence of his eyes and the fact that this is your mate and she trusts you and you love her, there's no excuse. So, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to talk about this movie in in its entirety to what it deserves. No. But uh, there were just a couple other things I wanted to mention. And that was when the credits first started to come up, I was kind of shocked to see that William Castle was the producer. Mm -hmm. William Castle produced so much low-budget schlock, but Mm -hmm. fun. Like... House on Haunted Hill. I, I love mm-hmm. it, even though it's silly. Oh, one of the actors from House on Hel- Haunted Hill, Elijah Wood, is the guy who leads them through the apartment in the very beginning. And, and he's been in a lot of William Castle movies. He was even in Blackula. He was the, the mortician in Blackula. So you, you've got these, these really great actors. You've got these guys who have come in, you know, from his other movies. And he got the rights to the book. And so that's how he could produce the movie. But Paramount wouldn't pay for it unless it was stipulated that he wouldn't direct it. Because they yeah. didn't want uh-huh. So obviously it was a good choice getting Roman Polanski. And Roman Polanski was apparently, he is such a perfectionist that he would spend yes. hours and days filming scenes that, you know, probably William Castle and his typical stable of directors wouldn't give but a few right. hours to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it shows in the movie. Mm-hmm. The, the movie is just layers upon layers and it's just thoughtful and it's smart. A lot of the movie is filmed in like one take scenes yep. that go on for a long time, which also indicates just the quality of the actors. I love the beginning and how it just sort of pans across this modern city and then into the the Central Park, which, you know, kind of brings us into the woods a little bit, and then down to this apartment complex, which is extre- in extreme contrast. It felt like a step back through time, mm-hmm. modern city, forest, and now very gothic old style apartment complex and the design of the set the design of the apartment complex and their hallways it just had this very gothic yet decrepit kind of feel just somewhere in between modern and old but way more in the old the set design is so good the colors are so good the cinematography was beautiful just the movie was just a joy a feast for the eyes really for being a talky film for being just nothing but talking drama in rooms the movie looked beautiful and was always visually interesting and hats off to roman polanski for doing that it's the it's his style. It's the way he is, uh, and right. uh, I can't say enough great things about the technical aspect right. of the movie. And Roman Polanski is one of those people who is problematic. Yeah. Um, true, true. You know, but we ironically, about, right? <laughs> we, we've 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 talked about this before. You know, we can recognize that people do bad things and we can condemn those things but we can still appreciate their art and and it's it's difficult to try to reconcile that cuz i don't in any way condone roman polanski's I would say alleged bad behavior but it's really not i mean it's pretty much confirmed yeah he was convicted right yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, I don't want to get too much into it. It, uh, it. The point is, he may not be a good person, but he made some good movies, uh, and this is an excellent movie. I, I just think it's excellent. Like honestly, when <laughs> every week when we pick a movie, one of the very first things I do is look to see how long it is. (laughs) (laughs) And when I saw that this movie was over two hours, I was like, oh my god. But it was a joy to watch. I I just, I, I loved every minute of it. I was invested in every minute of it. Um, well, I thought and the performances were great. Really, Mia Farrow really carries this movie. You know, there was a lot of responsibility on her shoulders. Yeah. I, she's in every scene. Yeah, it's all oh, about her. Man, it's a lot of responsibility, but she well, did a great job. I just wanted to say real quick, I <laughs> you said earlier that Elijah Wood was in this movie. I think you meant Elijah Cook, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Elijah, Elijah Wood is a hobbit. Elijah Wood was not even... <laughs> Not even a twinkle in anyone's eye when this movie came out. <laughs> you know, oh, gosh. there was it, it. I also remember this moment in this film, just this nice little touch when they decide they're going to go and they're going to do it. Right? 
when they're just sitting in the empty apartment and they're sitting down. I loved that. And she just looks at him and she's like, let's make love. And he says, okay. And they just start undressing. It's a long scene. It reminded me a little bit of uh, Don't Look Now in the honesty of what a marriage is and what a committed relationship is. It's romantic, but it's also kind of, in a way, it was very pedantic. Like, like you know, like the way they just kind of undress and, and <laughs> next to each other in this dark room and he's kind of taking off his pants and she's kind of taking off her stuff. Like, that went on for a little while and I thought, oh, that's so cute. Like, this sold me on this couple, you know? It, me too. That's the exact same thing I was thinking. Like, it reminded me of what it's like to be young and in love. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's great to be old and in love, too. It really is. But things change. Like, I remember the early days of my long-term committed relationship where it would just be the middle of the day and it's like, let's do it. Let's okay. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> but then, it, then it, it's uh, still just like, okay, well, uh, take my pants off, take the shirt. Doesn't I need to go brush my teeth, I go to the bathroom, whatever, like that, right? It's not like movies try to make it be, you know? I just thought that was a nice bit of honesty. I did too. And I thought that it did a lot to establish their relationship, which I think mm. made it then even more tragic that he would betray her in yeah. such a horrible way. Yeah, he doesn't come out looking the slightest bit sympathetic in this movie does no, no. Yeah. i can't recommend this movie enough if you haven't seen it i hope i hope that's not the case i hope you have because we've obviously tainted you if you haven't seen it you now you know what's going on it's still a great movie you're still going to enjoy it it's like a great book like when you finish a great book you wish you could go back and read it again for the first time. Mm. I wish I could go back and watch this movie again for the first time. Yeah. Um, without knowing and without the expectations. It, it's just so good and it's suspenseful. It's scary in non-typical ways. It makes you as the viewer question so much if you don't already know what's going on. And, and uh, Mia Farrow... Again, I'm not going to like go on and on about what a great actress she is. In fact, there were parts of this movie where I thought her acting was not so great. But she's so vulnerable and she's so easy to get behind as the heroine of this movie. I love it. I love her performance. It's dark. Things turn yeah. out badly. But yeah. uh, it's a fantastic movie. It's a classic I think it, it is, is. A, an absolute classic. It, it's the first of a genre. Of course, we had movies about devil worship before this, but you know, it, they, they didn't really bring it into the modern. They didn't bring it into the urban mm -hmm. like this movie really did. We're not in the backwoods. We're not in, you know, uh, rural America. We're in the, the middle of the yep. city. And, and this is the third of three horror slash suspenseful psychological thriller movies that Roman Polanski did that take place in basically the same setting. And I'd actually recommend the other two as well. I've seen them both. Repulsion, I think, and The Tenant. Disturbing, but in different ways. But this movie's a, a more tightly plotted kind of unfolding mystery than those movies are a little more art, art housey. Yeah, I'm going to echo everything you just said. Uh, great film. Charles Grodin got his start here. Yeah. And then Ira Levin, I was surprised. He also wrote The Stepford Wives and Death Trap. Yep, yep. Yeah, the material's great. The film is wonderful. The acting is good. And it's just a classic. And even watching more than once, you, I, I think you just get something new out of it every time. And very apropos for our modern age. So... I'm really glad uh, that we could take this opportunity for Mother's Day to reach out to all of our mothers out there and say, hey, you think you got it bad, at least you don't have it this bad, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, and, and before we sign off, I want to take a moment to wish Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, but specifically to my mom. I have one of the coolest moms anybody has ever had. She inspires me every day uh, and I just think that she's amazing and I couldn't love her more and she couldn't be more supportive uh, of me 
And I also want to say happy Mother's Day to all the other mothers, and I want to say happy Mother's Day to the aunts and, and grandmothers and women who are pet mothers um, and women who maybe thought that motherhood was in their future and it didn't work out that way. We honor and appreciate every single one of you. And now that you've said that, it would be really horrible if I went back and did not also reach out to your mother, Craig. Your mother is wonderful. Uh, she's a great gal. Yeah. I know. And I wish her a happy Mother's Day as well. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can find us online. Just search for Two Guys in a Chainsaw podcast. Look us up on Facebook or just go to our website or Twitter. Leave us a message there. Let us know what you thought of Rosemary baby let us know any film that you would like us to do in the future for a future holiday be it mother's day kwanzaa christmas <laughs> whatever uh until next time i'm todd and i'm craig with two guys in a chainsaw <laughs> <laughs>